Hello, Rosetta family. It's Justin and Pastor Dan once again, and we're looking at some of the topics from recent sermons as we've been working through Colossians 1 in recent weeks, and I wanted to talk about the idea of being reconciled to God. And, And Dan, you talked about how we could say, Jesus loves me, but that is meaningless unless we know what that love does. Is that right? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And um, a topic that a lot of times American churches don't talk about is the idea of us being uh, spared or through God's mercy, um, sparing us from the the wrath of God. Mm -hmm. So why don't you think that the idea or the concept of the wrath of God is, why is that not talked about more? Yeah. So um, there's two reasons. There's one that was kind of within the church, and that's a a view of scripture called uh, dispensationalism. And we're not going to get into that right now, but this view effectively said that we are under the time of grace right now. That Jesus preached to the time that was under the law still, but now that he has been uh, died on the cross, um, we now are under the time of grace, the dispensation of grace. And thus, uh, every sermon that's preached, every proclamation of the gospel, every sharing of the good news should primarily and pretty much only focus on the grace of the gospel as opposed to the truth of the gospel. Well, and I can think of um, the great hymn, In Christ Alone, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's a line in that song that that says, till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Mm -hmm. For every sin on him was laid here in the death of Christ. I love, and there are actually churches or denominations that have replaced that line yep. talking about the wrath of God because we don't want to talk about wrath or the idea of God being angry, yeah. right? We want to talk about grace and mercy and yep. good things. Yep. And so the second issue, so that's the first issue, is that within the church there was this movement of the that we need to uh, to to our philosophy of ministry is to focus on grace. Um, and then the second issue is more of a a catering to the world. And that a gracious message is much better received than the the bitter the bitter truth that comes with a sweet ending that is the real gospel. Um, and so that's where like you get to like text like John three thirty six where it says uh, so like we we quote John three sixteen all the time, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And we're like praise the Lord. Twenty verses later. Jesus says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. So if we are not in Christ, we are under the wrath of God. Amen. Black and white. Yeah. Right? But, the, but here's the problem is that we want, we nowadays we want people to be saved without having to tell them that they need to be saved or telling them what they're being saved from even. Mm-hmm. And so we, we get this wrong view where um, people will say either that saying that God is wrathful makes him mean or, or, or angry in some sort of sinful way or makes him more human than you should. And you're demeaning God by saying that he is wrathful. But in essence, God has said that he is wrathful. God has said that there will be a day of wrath. God says that his wrath is building up. Day by day, I think it's in Romans uh, 2, where it talks about the the wrath of God is being built up day by day for those that continue to sin and are not repentant. And so God defines himself as this, as this, and so we should not ignore it, 
or or what, what we try to do is we try to be uh, God's PR people, and we're like, all right, God, yeah, I know you're wrathful, but like people don't like that, so we're gonna go ahead and just kind of sweep that under the rug over there, and just keep that there, and we're gonna focus just on the fact that Jesus is just so gracious, and and and, and that we there's there, there's the grace of the gospel and the good news, <clears throat> but again, the problem being with that is that if you don't know that you need to be saved, if you don't realize that you need to be saved then why would you ever come? And the problem is you wouldn't come. And so then churches change how they do things to try to draw people in. We're not speaking a gospel message where we say you are a sinner under the just condemnation of a wrath-filled, angry God who has every right to be angry with you and will judge you for all eternity. But God has made a way for you to be made right with him and sacrificed himself in your place. All you have to do is humble yourself to see that you have a need for a savior, repent of your sins, turn from that, and believe that Jesus alone can save you and forgive your sins. But we don't believe that as a church, we, we, as, as, a, as, the, as the whole of the church, and it shows in our actions, because when's the last time that you shared the gospel with somebody, right? It's probably been a little bit. Um, now, when you shared the gospel with them, did you tell them what they were being saved from? Like, like saved from what? That's the question. Right? I think R.C. Sproul said that one point in time. Someone asked him, some young evangelist was really excited in the train and runs up to him and goes, uh, sir, are you saved? And R.C. knew what he was saying, but he, he couldn't help himself. And he said, well, saved from what? And this young Christian who was all on fire, just like deflated, <laughs> was just like, oh, I don't. No. And so that's where you get into an issue where then people will say, okay, well, you're getting saved from the devil, right? Um, that, that you're being saved from the devil because he's the bad guy. Well, here's the issue is if we say that, then we say that uh, Christ had to pay a debt then. Christ had to pay a debt to Satan, uh, that Satan has some sort of power or authority over mm. Christ. Um, <clears throat> and so that's the first issue. The second issue is that God's very clear in Isaiah 53 that it pleased him to crush his son. I think it's Isaiah 53, 9. It pleased him to crush his son. And not some sort of sadistic way, but the, in the, the little thing that it was satisfactory, that it, that, it, it, that it fulfilled the design that it was made for. And so Christ's death, the worst part of his death, was the wrath of God being poured out on him. Other people throughout history were crucified oh, on yeah. the cross. Thousands. Even upside down or in various yep. methods. So it wasn't so much the physical torture side of it. Correct. Um, it was the separation because of our taking our sin on him between God the Father and mm -hmm. Christ the Son and just this wrath of God being poured out. Amen. Yeah, and that's, that's really encapsulated in Second Corinthians 5.21. He became sin who knew no sin. Uh, what does that mean? Well, it, it means that God... The Father declared Jesus Christ as guilty of every sin that anyone who would believe in him would commit and had committed. Every sin and then treated him as guilty of all of those things. And that is where God's wrath is poured out on him. And that's why uh, Jesus refers to a cup in his prayer. And he says, Father, this cup can pass from me, please. 
But if not, your will be done. Why is he saying that? Because a perfectly holy man that has never known sin and is despises sin, is disgusted by it, it repulses him in the most disgusting way. It's like a vomit smoothie drinking that down. Like it is just the opposite of anything you could think of even trying to, to understand. And he says, this is the worst part of the cross is this cup of wrath of God's perfect, pure wrath is going to be poured out on me in the cross. And then God shows that to the world because, because what happens? The lights go out, right? The light switch is flicked off and, 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 and it's dark, right? Is it the middle of the night? No, it's not actually. But it's this symbolic gesture of God showing the darkness that was being poured out on Christ in that moment. And that's why in my sermon I quoted, uh, I think it's Deuteronomy 28 or something like that, where it talks about the curse for disobedience. And it's a long curse and it's nasty. It's ugly. You want to be talk about having a depressing day, read that. Um that was effectively the be- the closest we can get to understanding what it means that Galatians 3.13, Christ became a curse for us on the cross. And these are some of the most foundational understandings of the gospel that in historic Christianity would have been preached on the average Sunday. And yet nowadays, you can go to your normal cookie-cutter church and never hear this message. And yet, it is the fulcrum. It is the middle piece upon which the entire gospel rests. And meditating on such things can really um, motivate us or make us appreciate and be thankful for and grateful for what we are being spared from. Right? Amen. And uh, help us to live for Christ. And um, yeah, so uh, definitely things to, to think on there. Um in that same message, you also talked about um, the fruit that can come from living the Christian life mm-hmm. and this idea of being the, the, the perseverance of the saints. Yeah. Uh, so can we talk about that a little bit and what it what we mean? Like, is it what does the Bible say about can you lose your salvation? Yeah. Yeah. So let's see. Um, so Colossians one twenty three, I think, was. Uh, where that was, where it says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Um, And so this is kind of defining what perseverance looks like, right? Um, And we have other verses that really help to support that, like Philippians 1.6, where it says, uh, and and I'm sure of this, that he who uh, began a good work in you uh, will bring it to completion uh, the day of Jesus Christ. And it's Mm -hmm. this idea that that God's the one that begins the saving and then he continues the saving. Um, Jesus speaks of it beautifully in John chapter 6, where he says, uh, all that the Father uh, gives me, right? And so they're given to him first off. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that. <clears throat> All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. I will never cast out. Um, and so it's this idea that once you are saved, Christ is the one that holds you. You were given by God to Christ. You're like a part of a transaction almost that is that is outside of your power. <laughs> this is outside mm-hmm. of your circumstance. Um, and then I think, what is it, uh, John... I think it's John six thirty nine. 
Mm, I lost it. But either way, it's this idea that, that, that Christ is always the one that's holding on to them. And I think he's, he talks about where that's where like the father holds them with his hand mm-hmm. too. And no one's stronger than his father. And so Christ is like, hey, I'm doubling down here. Not only do I hold you and no one can take you from me and I'm not going to give you up, but God the father holds you and no one's taking you away. And you're like, okay, well, yeah, Jesus really, really means some stuff. Um, but then, like, the, the, the call to persevere is throughout the Bible. Um, I think of uh, 1 Timothy 4.16 where it says, uh, uh, Paul's talking to Timothy. and says, watch your life and doctrine closely. Like, just, uh, just keep an eye on it. Why? Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. What does that mean? Does that mean that Timothy's saving himself? No, that's not what God's saying. What God is saying is that when you persevere, when you continue in sound doctrine and in in right living, you will prove that you are saved and the fruit of that life will save other people. God will use the means of that fruit in your life to save other people. And so you and I have this sprinkler effect almost that when we are faithful with this life when we are persevering in the midst of trials and tribulations when we are being faithful to communicate the truth that god uses those means to continue to save others and so the the idea being that there is nothing that can change that there's nothing um, that can separate us from the love of God. You go to the end of Romans 8, right? For I am convinced that neither life nor death, mm-hmm. nor heaven nor hell, nor principalities, nor... And, and then, <laughs> yeah, yeah and, and Paul just goes through it and is like, look, there's nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. What is the love of Christ? It's the gospel. Mm-hmm. It's the good news that he died for you, for your benefit, for I his f- glory. I found the verse in John you're looking for earlier. Okay. Uh, John 10, 27 and 28. Mm. Jesus saying, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Verse 29 says, My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Verse 30, I and the father are one. Yeah. So you've got the idea of Christ hand, the shepherd, and then God the Father's hand together, doubly secure. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, that's John 10. I forgot about that. John 639 is where he talks about uh, that he'll lose nothing that was given to him, uh, but raised up on the last day. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that is God's will that that happen. Um, And so, yeah, so we look at all this, and this is the the promise, uh, again, going back to Philippians, that he who began a good work in you will finish it. And so we don't worry about sinning bad enough to lose our salvation. Um, because really what that comes down to, what, what, what you are saying, if you can lose your salvation, is that you must be able to gain it back. Right? And we all know that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone, to God's glory alone. That is Bible. And so I cannot say that I can lose my salvation because what I say if I say I can lose it is that I can gain it. Mm -hmm. Like if I say I can lose my watch, which I can, um, I'm also saying I can gain my watch back. I have to be saying that. That has to be an option because the opposite of whatever I'm saying has to be true if what I'm saying is true. And so you cannot say that you can lose your salvation because Scripture disagrees with you. Okay. So if there's somebody that's listening and they have the question – how do I know I'm a Christian? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I'm doubting my salvation. How do I know? Yeah. Um, in that same message, you talked about the idea of 
testing yourself, yeah. right? So what does that look like connected to the idea of, of bearing fruit in our life? Yeah, and so I think that... Um, I think that one of the greatest issues that we have in our day and age is that when someone comes to us and they have a concern on, am I saved? Um, I'm not sure, etc. One of the first things that we want to do, because it, it, it's uncomfortable and, and we don't like seeing people in pain, uh, is we want to just assure them, like, oh, oh yeah, you've, I'm sure you're been, fine. Yeah, you've been going to church for so long, and well, like you did you all these, yeah. these good things, and like, like, of course you're saved. Like, come on, stop it. Um, and yeah, that's the most unloving thing you can do in that moment. Because the most loving thing you can do is, and, and not like declare to them like you go test yourself, but like say like, hey, like sit down with me and let's go through scripture and let's talk about what a Christian is, what a Christian does, and that's where you have to go back to John chapter three where Jesus is talking about salvation to Nicodemus, and he says, look, the Holy Spirit's like the wind, like no one knows. <laughs> when they're saved, right? Like, that's not a thing. Like maybe like for some of us, we have like an ecstatic experience, but as a rule of thumb, most people do not know the exact moment they were saved because the Holy Spirit moves like the wind. But Jesus says, but you see the effects of the wind. And it's the same thing in our lives where if Christ has truly saved you, you will live a new life. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What does that mean? Does that, does that mean that like this is a back and forth thing or that, that, that like, I kind of show fruit, but I kind of don't show fruit? No, it means I'm a brand new human being. I used to love my sin and now I hate it. I, I used to want the things of this world and now I don't. I used to look at my Bible like it was this drudgery and now I actually desire to read it and learn it. Um, and however small that desire may be, the idea being if it's there, you're alive. I think that was John Owen that said that at one point in time, talking about killing sin in our lives. Um, only alive people want to kill the sin in their life. Mm. And it's the idea that a dead man doesn't care about his sin. He, he might dislike certain sins and want to trade it for a different sin. Right. He might say, you know what, I'm really tired of uh, being fat and lazy. And so instead, I'm going to be prideful and in really good shape and 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 self-glorifying. Um, but all he's done is traded traded sins. Right? <laughs> and he thinks that he has a more respectable sin now. Um, but a Christian will say, no, 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 God is displeased with this. I know this is wrong, and so I don't want to do it anymore. And instead, I want to do what God would have me do. Um, and so there's there's a there's stark difference where you go from the 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 darkness to the light is the description that uh, Scripture gives you. I heard one pastor say repentance isn't about perfection; it's about direction. Yeah. And so I guess as you examine your own life, what direction are you walking? Are you trying to become more like Christ and hating your sin, mm. or are you still pursuing the the things that you did formerly? Yeah, yeah. And that's why I always use the terminology stumbling forward in sanctification. Mm, yeah. um, I say you and I are always stumbling forward in sanctification. Why? Because some days it doesn't look pretty. <laughs> like some some days I fail a lot. But the idea is that while I'm failing and falling, I'm at least falling forward. Mm -hmm. And as I get back up, I'm a little further along than I was before. And so it's okay to fail and to fall. But we have to make sure that we're falling forward, that we're always becoming more Christ-like, no matter how slow it should be determined. And that's why I say longevity is the best test. You look back a year from now and you say, okay, do I hate my sin more today than I did a year ago? 
Do I love God's word more today than I did a year ago? Have I been freed from more sin today than I was a year ago? And just take these tests. Go five years, ten years, however long you've been a Christian. And just say, do I see a stark contrast? Some people will have a way more blatant one where they were a drunkard that was whatever, doing all these crazy things, and then God saved them from the bars and all the different stuff. Some people not so much. Maybe they grew up in church. But there still <clears throat> should be this significant turning of, my bad, where you say, I used to be this, and now I am this. That is assurance of salvation. And if you want to test yourself, if you're not sure, go read First John, the entire book of the Bible, every day for 30 days. Read it every day for 30 days until you just have it like in your mind, and then come and talk to me. Okay. Sounds sounds like a, a great challenge out there. Um, but no, as we were talking, and, and we had talked about this earlier, like if you are wanting to determine or kind of get a feel for where someone is and what they believe, and if, if they are a Christian, a, a great question to ask is, if, if you were to die tonight and you're standing outside of heaven and, and God were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? Hmm. How would you answer that question? Yeah. So you could ask yourself that question. How, how would you answer that question? Right. Hmm. Um, and and what the Bible teaches, and, and we can talk through this together, but the fact is that there is nothing that we have done on our own that we deserve to, to enter heaven, right? Yep. That But God um, loves us, and, and while we were under his wrath, he wanted to restore that relationship because we have broken his law yep. in, in, throughout the Bible. Um, even the, the good things we do are like filthy rags, mm-hmm. and um, loved us so much to restore that relationship that uh, Jesus came to earth, fully God, fully man. Mm. Um, but then in order for that relationship to be uh, repaired, there had to be, blood had to be spilled. Yep. And so Jesus gave his life on the cross, taking the punishment uh, that should have been ours mm. on himself, even though he had done nothing wrong. He he fulfilled the law, lived the perfect life that we couldn't do. Mm. Um, was in the, in the tomb three days, came back to life, ascended into heaven, and he is coming again someday. Amen. No, that's that's kind of the long-winded elevator speech. Um, but as to why um, why should God let you into heaven? It's because the Bible says these things are true, and we're trusting in that in Christ's sacrifice. Um, but all of that to be said, I guess you could ask yourself that question, and then do I believe these things is true? You know, where am I? Where am I at? Do I do I trust Scripture on these? Yeah. Yeah. Amen. And that's where you and I need to make sure that at all times, as a congregation, we are continuing to test ourselves and to test each other to what is what is the reason that you live your Christian life, right? The, 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 the stop, the stop with the, even the heaven idea just today, right? What is the unction, what is the energy that drives you to not yell at your spouse today? Well, what, what is the reason that drives you to devotion in God's word today? Um, is it a performance mentality? Is it you're trying to be a better you? Um, that can ha- that can be a good aspect. But at the end of the day, you must test yourself to get to the very bottom of it and say, okay, am I trying to be a better person because I know the great salvation that I have. I know that, that it's Christ in me that's helping me with this. I know that uh, it is now my duty to live my life for Christ, and so I should be improving myself. Or is it more of a, uh, a self-glorification uh, where I'm getting better and knowing more so that I can be seen in a certain way by others? Mm-hmm. Are you doing it because God's watching or are you doing it because others are watching? Yeah. 
Any other thoughts as we, we talk about and look back on that message that you gave on being reconciled to God and um, things of that nature? Uh, no, I think the only other word that would come up uh, that people might have questions on is uh, the word propitiation. Um, and so real quick on that, uh, the, the word propitiation and why that matters is, is that the propitiation is the idea of both um, satisfying God's wrath uh, and enabling Christians to have a right standing with God. So it's twofold. It is the negative and the positive aspect of reconciliation. It is Christ was the perfect sacrifice for our sins, but just having a clean slate or being in right standing with God for a second would not have been enough. There has to have been a pathway, a mediator, uh, which is Christ, through which you and I could be in right standing with God. Uh, and that is where we are cloaked with or we're clothed with Christ's righteousness. And that's justification where we, where Christ is declared as and treated as guilty on the cross. You and I are declared as and treated as justified, righteous, clear. That's a legal forensic term. And so the idea of propitiation is, again, that, that twofold satisfying of God's wrath and the covering of us with righteousness so that we can be in right standing with God. Not getting rid of the bad stuff, but also gaining the good stuff, the Correct. righteousness before God, twofold. Yes, sir. All right. Well, as always, thank you for your time and your thoughts. And we are looking forward as our continued study through the book of Colossians and what God word uh, has for our church family. Amen.